0: This is a Crypto Finance Podcast. We are holding internal knowledge sessions and publish selected episodes to share our know-how and experience with you.
1: So, mining, we'd like to talk about mining. We had the topic of mining a gazillion times. We talked about mining chips, we talked about operations of mining, we talked about cloud mining, we talked about hashes, we talked about just about everything. So, what I would like to, to do today is talk more about what are things that come up about mining that are just myth that are not true what do we even use mining for why do we need mining in cryptocurrencies uh, what do they bring what are dangers of mining what are different choices of mining that different um, assets do uh, i have a few topics on the list but please interrupt me at any time because i think this is important and i would like to have everybody in the company know all this stuff it's important So, first, what is the role of mining in cryptocurrencies? Why does uh, decentralized cryptocurrency, why does Bitcoin, not work without mining? What does mining bring to the table that was previously not there? Consensus and confirming transactions. Confirming transactions, consensus. Yes, I think that counts. I'm sure, let's, let's go one step back. When was mining invented? When was hash cash invented? Hash cash is, is not, as you might think, a, a currency, it's, it's a weird name for something completely different. And it's from the 90s, mid 90s, came up when, when the internet came up, mailing came up, and uh, people were asking about anonymity in mailing. How can you anonymously send an email? The obvious answer to that was the re-mailers. So there was a whole re- whole um, network of people who would just accept emails from somebody and send them forward. And if you do that a few times, then um, you, you essentially anonymize the sender. But that has a very obvious problem, which is spam. So Hashcash came up as a solution. Uh, actually invented by Adam Back, who is now CEO of Blockstream. CEO, mm-hmm. CEO of Blockstream. Who uh, came up with the idea? Okay, now let's let's make it expensive to send a mail through a remailer. Uh, not expensive in the way that you have to pay the remailer to, to deliver this, but just make it so that you prove that you spend money on sending this email. So it's obviously a mail that is important to you. Um, what Adam Beck came up with is what we still use in Bitcoin these days, which is you have to calculate the hash of the message including a nonce. Um, you have to vary the nonce until you find a hash which is below some threshold. That's what proof of work is. You prove that you executed some work before you are allowed to participate in some network. In cryptocurrencies, this is one component of it. You prove that you did did invest work before you are allowed to build the block. That's not entirely true, but we will come to that later. Actually you build first the block and then vary just the nonce before you prove that this node block was a correct block, but it has a, a second role as well, that's as a verifiable delay function. I like this term, I'm not actually sure where it comes from. How do you prove that something took a certain amount of time? Right. That's usually not possible to do and usually you would also ask, why would I care, why would I prove that I spent time? Um, but it's very important for having the guarantees of cryptocurrency. I meaning It's very important to, have, to, to be able to, to prevent double spending. It's, it's, all of that is related to each other very intimately. And that if, say, somebody comes um, joins Bitcoin, somebody um, now also wants a copy of, of the blockchain, he wants to be able to verify what's going on, I give him a copy, Alessandro gives him a copy, uh, and those copies are not the same. He gets two different versions of the blockchain then it's uh, independently possible to verify which of them is the correct one by calculating which of them took longer to produce. And because you, um, because I can have a blockchain of which the Bitcoin blockchain I can prove that this Bitcoin blockchain took 10 years to produce. So I'm not able to, to just spin up a blockchain that is uh, much, much faster to produce. I cannot come up with a, with a fake blockchain that, um, that dates back the exact same time. And to do that, you, you need to prove that something took that amount of time. This is done by proof of work. One block takes 10 minutes. What I said is not entirely true. And this is now the, the point where uh, where I would have to add graphs to all of this, uh, because one um, very important security measure for how secure a blockchain is, is um, how much time would you need to spend to fake this blockchain? Because if, you, if, if we have significant development, right? if, if a new miner comes out that is 100 times faster than the previous version, then you can produce something that looks like it's 10 years old in one of that time frame. Right? You, can, you can warp time by having faster hardware. Which is why it's important that the development in hash rate is, is somewhat slow there must not exist something like a now everything is 100 times faster, that would make blockchains insecure. Because it's important in order to fulfill this, this criteria as a verifiable delay function, it has to be such that, that there cannot be 100 times gains in hash rate. Um, this is why, why it's important that, that, you are, that everybody is incentivized to participate in mining That miners are incentivized to participate in mining. That uh, mining chip producers are incentivized to create the best possible mining chips, because if they were not incentivized to do that, they would just not innovate for five years, and then somebody would come, would do this hundred x, and everything would be lost. Right. So it has to be really this fight. For this fight, it's or so that this fight works. uh, Let's see shortly talk about one difference that some blockchains do. There are a lot of blockchains, say Monero or Grin, that decided that they want to be ASIC resistant. Does everybody know what an ASIC is? Yes, that's an ASIC. We have a showcase live here. That's an ASIC. Alex, what was it? It's a Dash ASIC, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, an ASIC is an application-specific integrated circuit. It's a piece of hardware that is specifically built for this one task of this one hash function. In this case, x11. In case of Bitcoin, double SHA256, um, to execute that as fast as possible. And it's worthwhile to invest into building these things. There are blockchains that decide to, to be ASIC resistant because um, the rationale there, as so they say, if you are, if if you if mining is done by ASICs then there is too much power on the trip producers or too much power on those who, who can get quick access to, to, these, to this hardware or too much power on those that have cheap electricity. What they rather want is a more democratized version of mining where, uh, where I can use my PC at home. In order to facilitate that, you have to come up with a mining algorithm that is for which uh, a specific version is not much, or a specific hardware is not much better than a than a PC at home. The, the major way how uh, how this achieved is two different ways. One is by by changing the mining algorithm every now and then, which, which is what, for example, um, Monero does. The other way is uh, to to do what, for example, Grin is doing. Uh, is to use a mining algorithm that is n- not for which the calculation is not actually the, um, the, the difficult part, but that is very memory intensive. And memory is a piece of hardware uh, that is already at, it, at its peak. Right? You cannot just as Bit main come and say, now we do better memory. Memory is something where we did have decades of development in memory. And the memory that I get in, in any shop is just the peak of the development there. Um, which means then it becomes a, a fight of who can accumulate most of this memory. And since you do not just compete with other people who want to mine, but you, you compete with everybody who wants a decent computer, the, the, the price of that thing is not really moved that much by mining. So that's great. That, that democratizes. You, you. You probably really use the hardware that you already have. If the the, the expensive thing is not the calculation, but something which already is a commodity good, uh, the disadvantage of this is that if you are ASIC resistant, you are very likely botnet susceptible. What does that mean? There are botnets. Botnets just means you have a virus on your computer that that allowed somebody to uh, to remotely take control of your computer and make it part of a botnet. And if you go some 10 years back, then um, how did people monetize a botnet? If they managed to have some zero day exploit, managed to, to grab um, 10,000 computers of other people, how did they monetize that? What you did was probably sending spam emails, right? Because you have control then also of 10,000 IP addresses, uh, which meant that for the one who owns this computer, your damage is actually not that great, right? You, the, the damage done to, to the society as a whole of all the spam. Is much greater than the damage that is done to you as the owner of the compromised computer. And it's in the very best interest of the botnet um, controller, of the botnet, what is it, owner, in S- that case, probably? Hmm? Master. master, botnet master. It's probably, it's probably in the best interest of the botnet operator to, to make it such that you don't even feel that you're being compromised, right? So that he can take control longer. This changed dramatically with the advent of cryptocurrencies. Now, if your computer is compromised, you will see it on your electricity bill or you will see it in the decay of your hardware. Uh, Maybe two anecdotes. Let's make it one, the other one is not really up for publicity. While I was working in um, in computational physics, a data center that I used for my my day-to-day work had to be shut down completely because somebody, I mean, it was a very major one, right? Tens of thousands of CPUs. Had to be shut down completely and uh, and rewamped over a period of three months because they noticed that somebody had gotten access to a password and then with that password and privilege escalation exploits gotten root access to that cluster and used that to mine douche that really happened uh, and this is why i'd say before cryptocurrencies compute cluster really a university compute cluster Operators, the, the admins there, did not really have to worry about security. Nobody nobody attacks a university compute cluster, why would you? You only have one IP address, maybe five. So even this handing of spam, you, you cannot really do that. There is not much that you can do as an attacker, the value is very limited. That's not at all true since cryptocurrencies. So everybody has to take security much, much more serious and that's a very good thing. Okay, coming back to um, ASIC-resistant and botnet-susceptible. Um, I do understand the reasons why you want to be ASIC-resistant, but at the same time I think that the trade-off is often not done at the right point. Right? Because if you are a botnet operator, you have 30,000 computers, uh, then you can for smaller coins uh, again be of the type that you, that you do get this 100x and compromise the security of that blockchain. Let's go quickly because that's a question that comes up all the time when it comes about mining. Why don't we use the mining to do some good in the world? Um, if, we, if it's just about proving that you spend uh, electricity, that you spend time, that you spend hardware resources um, on solving a problem to be allowed to bring the blockchain forward, uh, why not calculate primes? or do these folding at home type stuff for protein folding, which is very uh, intensive of, um, of resources. And where there are like this, there's this, I'm not sure who knows this, there's this, this Bonk, I think it was called, Boing, whatever, some Berkeley project uh, where you could install their software and they would calculate problem, um, problems on your machine and you would basically donate your, your compute power. Why do we not do something like that and calculate a reasonable, valuable um, side effects as a pro- as a side effect of the process of mining. This question comes up a lot, and it's a it's a reasonable question on the first sight. Who knows why this is not actually reasonable to do, and why this is not done in cryptocurrencies? Oh, it, it is. By the way, there is Primecoin, for example, which does that.
0: Because maybe it will be very difficult to predict how long one dog will be.
1: Well, you can also not predict that a Bitcoin, it's a stochastic thing, and that would probably remain There is central limit theory. And so, everything that um, where, where you do not know uh, the distribution of time that something takes, if you do it often enough, uh, then it's, it's um, Gaussian distributed around the mean. That, that should not be a problem. Anything else? You need to verify the solution all the time, that's the whole point of uh, having the norms and stuff, maybe that's one of the reasons? Um, well, verifying a protein folding is very easy as well. It's, it's also a trapdoor function, so a function of the type that it's difficult to, uh, to calculate but easy to verify.
0: Uh, because, I mean, when, for example, in Bitcoin, they take into consideration
1: uh, all the transactions that were done, so uh, actually I think it will be difficult to convert it to some proteins or prime numbers. Yes, that's, that's mostly the reason indeed, um, and I did touch that briefly before, um, it is really of this, I do not calculate a solution to the problem, and then that gives me the right to produce a block, that's not how it works, but the block that I produce, the the transactions that are included, are part of the problem. And doing something of the type that, that, uh, that the transactions that I include, or a hash of all the transactions that I include, or whatever you want to do, goes into the problem. Then you calculate your solution to the problem, and then still it's not reusable for for other types of transactions. That's an unsolved problem. Nobody found a solution to this. What I would like to see, or what I would like, what I would have liked to see, or what I would like to see in a future blockchain, in a future product project, um, I think that would be very neat. Would be, um, you know, what zero knowledge proofs? Zero knowledge proofs um, is essentially a way of Proving that certain steps were executed uh, on an input without having to um, show the input and creating the zero-knowledge proof is super memory intensive. Um, Depending on on, on how difficult the the problem is or what what, um, operations were done, it's very difficult to produce this zero-knowledge proof. So What would be very neat is that you do not only have to produce a norm that solves the, that, that produces a low enough hash but that you also have to produce the zero knowledge proof that everything was done correctly. the zero knowledge proof that this is actually a valid block, the zero knowledge proof that the previous transaction outputs actually exist in the blockchain uh, make that part of the proof of work. What that would do is it would make it much much faster, much faster to verify that that this is actually a correct, the correct input. That this is a correct block. Verification would be much much faster, and as a side effect, probably the infrastructure, the, the algorithms, the dedicated hardware for executing zero knowledge proofs or for building zero knowledge proofs, that would improve. But that's a one-time thing. You, if we if we, this would have been in the original version of Bitcoin, then by now we would probably have very good dedicated hardware for producing zero-knowledge proofs, just as we have now dedicated hardware for producing SHA-256, um, but this, this double SHA-256 hardware is, does not have a second use, while the zero-knowledge proof one would have a second use. For
0: But, but how would you um, I mean, with zero-knowledge proof, that's just basically a calculation you have to do to, to make that zero-knowledge proof. There's nothing like a difficulty which you can adjust. Yeah. adjust which is really important to the security of Bitcoin because if you don't have the concept like the much, most work done, which you, in my understanding, can't with zero knowledge proofs, as far as I know, so
1: there I don't have the security aspect of proof of work anymore, right? No, this is why I said um, you have, my suggestion would be you have to find a north, which is the proof of work, and in addition to that, also produce the proof that this is actually available. Sorry. Um, we would probably have to, to refine that, because uh, you don't want this like first stage 1, then stage 2, and only then it's valid. That would not do the trick. But if you uh, like, have to do the, the zero knowledge proof generation for each of the, of, the, your, of your guesses of a nonce before you even compare the hash or something, that, that would probably work. But if we would have done that, then by now we would have great hardware for doing zero knowledge proofs. Awesome. Then we would still be in front of the question: Oh, yeah, good. now we have that. It doesn't improve anymore. Uh, why don't we use um, it? Diff- why, why don't we switch algorithms? Why don't we do something else uh, to also improve the quality of that? And this is a never-ending game, right? You, you, you have one chance. and Bitcoin somewhat blast that one chance by um, building the incentives to build dedicated hardware for double SHA-256, which is mostly useless. It did not have this, na- this positive side effect, but it would have been a one-time side effect anyways. There is one more thing that I have on my list that I want to talk about, but um, as I said in the beginning, you are very, very warmly invited to ask any questions around this mining or things that come up with mining.
0: Yes, because
1: when you said that if someone invents uh, some way to calculate 100 times faster the blockchain, um, it means that uh, the person would need to calculate from the beginning and uh, then it would rep- reproduce, let's say,
0: a longer blockchain than the current bit- mm-hmm. correct Bitcoin blockchain. And uh, so, is the argument of Bitcoin design like this that uh, if the
1: blockchain is correct, um, you are supposed to accept the longest blockchain? Or? Um, it's not the longest, it's the most cumulative work, but that's again being pedantic. Um, yes. That is the way that the Bitcoin code would work. If I would just run my Bitcoin node at home and somebody would present to me a bigger cumulative work chain that somewhat deviated already after the Genesis block, it's completely different, then my Bitcoin node at home would probably accept that. At the same time, the Bitcoin node does have a feature. It's even a one line command on the command line interface of the Bitcoin node, which is called I think assume-invalid, assume-invalid, So somebody know? Okay, consider-invalid or assume-invalid, something of that type, where you can just give a hash and say, assume this one invalid, and that would discard it, and would look for, for, for the next biggest, essentially, um, discarding that one. So, the, the danger of an actual long-range 51% attack happening due to something that deviates already from Genesis, is probably mitigated quite well by, by just social protection. Right? People would not accept that. <laughs> yeah, I mean
0: the question then is also why would someone do that starting from the Genesis block again? Yeah. And if you have the better technology, most likely someone else has it, has it as well, so the difficulty will change for the newer blocks and then you can never catch up again, right?
1: Yeah. I think the, so we're having really long range attacks, 51 long range 51% attacks, and with long range, I mean everything above a few days, cannot happen due to social protection, due to enough eyeballs on what, what's going on there, um, which is a bit dangerous uh, as an argument because it, it leads very quickly to the question why do we need proof of work at all if there is social protection against 51% attacks? Right. But it's um, that, that's really that's obscure territory that we are entering here. Uh, Plus, we're getting to Ether, Ether, Classic kind of situations in the social protection framework. that we mentioned. Yeah, and we did see that Ether Classic did have a one week, what was it, one week, fifty-one um, percent attack recently, a few months ago, right? And th- that happened. There was no social protection against that. So The, the proof-of-work 51% attack protection is basically only relevant for the silent attack, right? But if you, if you have the situation, let's say, the, the Great Firewall of China becomes not slow but complete block for two weeks, then you would have a, a China chain and the rest of the world chain that would delay it by two weeks, where there would have been economic activity on either of the chain, none of them is correcter than the other. So we would have two chains that are both correct, they're both following the rules. At the same time, you cannot consolidate them back to one. It doesn't work, right? One of them would, would have to give up for the other or we would have a permanent split and both do assume invalid on the first block after the, after the split of the other. This did happen in a sense, where there was a migration from Berkeley DB to LevelDB, uh, where there was some transaction that was considered invalid by, by, by the updated version and not invalid by the old version, um, where there was a six hour uh, split of that type of, of things that were essentially both correct, but were incorrectly considered invalid by some update. And that is uh, that resolved quickly by people giving up. By, by miners just saying, yeah, I do have six hours of proceeds of mining of the blockchain, but we want to consolidate that. And so they gave up their proceeds in order for one of the parts to live on. So if we would have a permanent, a, a, sorry, a sustained chain split uh, and no resolution, uh, then this would not be resolved by, by, by figuring out which chain is longer. right? It doesn't matter if you, if you have a thousand blocks in between or a thousand two blocks in between, That will not resolve this question. This will be uh, a social discussion between which of them wins and probably none of them wins. Okay. Um, What keeps me of calculating just the last bit and adding zeros? Because the hash is not actually part of the block. The hash of the block that you calculate is not part of this. So if, if you find a block, what you do is you give me the block I do not even know to which hash you came. I calculate the hash myself and I compare what you did. And if I am not, not happy, if I do not find these zeros, then I will discard it and probably probably close the, the P2P connection with you because you are a liar. <laughs> so block verification...
0: You just make it the hash independently if you do block verification because then you already have the nonce, right? Now it's all there. So you just do the hash, and either it matches, it's it matches the difficulty, or it doesn't. Yeah. But you, you cannot just give someone a hash and say this is the block hash. You, you
1: don't tell me the hash. You tell me the order of transactions that you chose and the norms that you chose. You, the 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 hash is not part of our communication. You cannot even try to lie because it's not even part of the message. Everybody's nodding, so let's leave it there.
0: Only only for the next block you calculate the last block's hash to integrate it in. The mm. Yeah,
1: yeah, the, yes. Good. Any further questions? Good. And then thank you very much.
0: This episode was brought to you by Cryptofinance. We are happy to receive comments and feedback. Email your thoughts to research at cryptofinance.ch.